0: hello and welcome to crop it like it's hot brought to you by the crop tech show and arable farming magazine and sponsored by yara the crop nutrition company i'm alice dyer and before we get started as you've probably heard the crop tech show is going digital this year taking place from the 24th to the 26th of November. There is a packed programme full of hubs, seminars, we've got the Yen Awards, so make sure you register online for free at croptechshow.com. CPD points will be available at the online event and as always you can claim one CPD point for tuning into this podcast. Just email the podcast title and your BASIS account number to cpd at basis-reg.co.uk. Now for today's show, it's been a tricky few years for oilseed rape, leaving growers with limited break crop options, particularly for those on heavy ground. So today we're going to explore what other options are out there, what is driving crop rotation decision-making on farm, and also take a look at some of the potential opportunities in the pipeline. We've got an arable farmer, a seed expert, an economist on today's show, but first, we're going to start with the soil. I'm very pleased to have Andrew Wells here. He's an independent agronomist at Arable Alliance and he covers farms around Nottinghamshire and Lincolnshire. Hello, Andrew. So, shall we start with oilseed rape? This was once a crop that was grown by many, but now, you know, the area just seems to keep on falling. So, how have we got to where we are?
1: Well, I think we've got to where we are nearly because of economics and the fact that for 20 25 years oilseed rape was almost the most profitable combinable break crop available for most growers and and it was significantly better in terms of gross margin so there was a big financial incentive to look at that as the combinable break crop of choice the other advantage it brought to growers, particularly on heavy soils, was you had an early harvest for the oilseed rape, which allowed them to get land cultivated and ready for the following wheat crop. And they developed quite um, speedy systems of establishing oilseed rape by either broadcasting or direct drilling or subcasting or broadcasting on the back of combine headers. So it really was that the profitability of oilseed rape as a crop and the way it fitted nicely into a, a rape wheat rotation that caused the problems we eventually saw with it.
0: I suppose last season really turned a lot of rotations on their head and kind of highlighted even more of a need for a resilient rotation.
1: I mean the, the, problem, we've, the problem was building though in oilseed rape because effectively people had been growing it far too frequently in the rotation, driven by the the profits that it was generating at one stage. And the more they grew the crop in the rotation, gradually the poorer its performance came. Then with the loss of neonic seed treatments and increased pest pressure, really it was a a disaster scenario waiting to happen, which, which well and truly happened in certainly a lot of the east midlands uh, you know over the past two years
0: so a bit of a ticking time bomb then and on the topic of sustainability what are the building blocks to a resilient rotation
1: i think when we're looking at rotations and having something that's resilient and sustainable what we've got to do is have profitability in there because without that what is the point point? but we want to combine a range of
2: factors in that. So ideally we want a range of um,
1: establishment dates, sowing dates. So probably a mix of autumn sown crops with spring sown crops and um, some variability in the time that we're establishing autumn sown crops. So A range of sowing dates is ideal and whether the spring crops are spring-sowing break crops or spring-sown cereals doesn't really matter. I think what we're also wanting in a resilient rotation is um, a range of crops so we're not putting too many brassicas in there or too many legumes in there or even too many of the same sort of cereal in there so variety uh, strengthens the resilience of a rotation. The challenge is to do that whilst being able to manage the workload and the peak workloads, particularly of harvesting, when a lot of the crops tend to come ready to harvest at the same time, um, and to deal with the perhaps later establishment of some of the crops in the autumn that people are considering growing.
0: Okay. and. You're over in the East Midlands, covering sort of Nottinghamshire, Lincolnshire, and some quite varied soil types. So, what direction are your growers taking when it comes to rotation? There's no
1: doubt that the area of oilseed rape has reduced over the past couple of years as people had problems with establishment and pest pressure um, in our area. So, they've generally dropped the proportion of oilseed rape in the rotation. A lot of them have introduced um, some pulse crops, whether that's uh, winter sown beans, spring sown beans or or some combining peas. They've also diversified their cereal cropping. Um, spring barley has been quite a popular crop over a number of years uh, in the East Midlands, particularly on some of the limestone and lighter soils where it's often followed sugar beet. Spring wheat made an appearance uh, on a large scale last year, just because of the problems. But but winter and spring oats have also been becoming more popular with growers as they've offered a, a combinable cereal that's actually provided a take-all break in the rotation. So it's uh, had the job of being a break crop and allowing a first wheat to follow it.
2: So really, it's it's been. Uh, a move away from the
1: rape wheat, rape wheat type rotation to um, probably uh, a break crop followed by a winter wheat, which is probably followed by either a, a second cereal sown in the autumn or more often a spring sown cereal before going back to another break crop, whether that's an oat as a break or a pulse crop as a break and then allowing them to go back to wheat. So it's just become a little bit more diversified um, as people have eased off oilseed rape for the moment.
0: Yeah, and I know you just mentioned take-all there, but agronomically, what other considerations do growers need to think about?
1: Well, I suppose the big one that's always in the background and a large proportion of my farms is, is grassweed control and grassweed pressure, and... Um, the, the inclusion of some spring-sown crops in many cases helps with blackgrass and ryegrass control. Um, so it's really weed burden that's been driving some of the decisions as well, as I'm afraid the, the rate wheat rotation they were on was building up blackgrass pressure and other grass weed pressure quite significantly. Um, take all I've mentioned. Um, In terms of other diseases, really, it's having that range of crops that breaks the cycle of disease building up too much in a sequence of the same species. So really, you know, there's a a bit of second wheat being grown out there. But in general, people are going uh, uh, avoiding growing two consecutive wheat crops uh, at the moment anyway.
0: Okay, And just an extra question I'm going to throw in here at the end. You know, in terms of oilseed rape, you've mentioned this build-up. Do you think that you know in the future we could be back to where we were in terms of oilseed production?
1: Don't think we'll ever get back to the heady heights we had at one stage, where you know we were growing probably far too much uh, of the arable area in oilseed rape. But I'm quite optimistic that uh, that we can build back the oilseed rape area over coming years to something that's a little bit more balanced in people's rotation so we're probably looking at oilseed rape on a one in five, one in six year rotation rather than where it had got to of one in two or one in three so it it does rely though on alternative break crops providing profitability and, and that is a challenge but the harvest we've just had we've produced an awful lot of beans nationally and hopefully this that will stimulate demand and give um millers making animal feed the confidence to buy beans and put those in the rations and actually have a strong domestic market for um, domestic grown protein crops so I, I think we will see oil road come back, but I'm hoping we keep building our home markets for for proteins and other cereals because it's really helpful if we can grow something that can go you know, literally a few miles down the road to a feed mill.
0: Definitely, and I think there's a lot of opportunity out there and that is something we're going to hear a little bit more about later on in the programme. Thank you, Andrew.
1: From Tall yeah, that's great.
0: Now, staying on farm, I'm very pleased to have our next guest here, Arable Farmer and Arable Farming Magazine columnist, Hannah Darby, and she's going to tell us what drives her decision-making when it comes to rotation and why she's growing the crops she is. Hi, Hannah. Hi,
3: Alice. How are
0: you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah. Yeah, good. Good. So, shall we start with a bit of background on your farm? You're in Cambridgeshire, so what sort of soils have you got and what crops are in the rotation at the moment?
3: Yeah, yes. Yeah, so we farm in Cambridgeshire. Our soil is incredibly mixed. So, we're on the edge of the fence. So we've got some very high organic matter soils uh, with kind of a mixture of blue clay, sand, silt underneath. I'm learning more everyday some fen skirt where the organic matter runs out and then we've got some quite heavy clay soils. So the rotation, well it's always been a challenge and it still is a challenge and I'm sure we'll talk more about that but currently I kind of try and work it so the fen soils uh, will grow winter wheat, oats, winter wheat again, peas or at the moment we're letting some land out for potatoes, back into wheat either spring or winter and then sugar beets. Whereas the clay soils, um, it's not quite so set, and it's more like uh, winter wheat, barley, beans, and oats in some kind of order. But that's yeah, very much kind of all up for grabs at the moment. That's what we're doing currently, but if it's what we do in the future, I'm, I'm not so sure.
0: Okay, and you stopped growing oilseed rape a while back. So since then, what options have you considered as a means to replace it or kind of lengthen the rotation? So
3: when, um, yeah, when I started thinking about this and thought back over the last kind of seven years, I think it is, the last crop of oilseed rape was grown in 2013 and we stopped growing it mainly because uh, we had trouble with establishment and we were getting so much black grass, it was perpetuating the issue with the winter wheat and the rape. So um, I made a little list actually of all the crops that we've grown since and I think we have probably covered everything off. So um, we've grown oats both winter and spring, spring wheat, we've tried growing multiple wheats in one go, like two or three, Um, linseed, barley, peas, beans, and letting land out for root crops, but they all have had, like, plus and minus points to them, Mm. definitely.
0: And are there any that you kind of think have particular merit within the rotation?
3: Um, I think that, like, well, different things for different reasons. I guess um, we kind of definitely ruled some out. So winter oats for us, especially on the highly organic, uh, highly organic fen soils, grew a lot of straw, which was very green at harvest, and therefore um, it lodged, and it just made harvesting really difficult. And like what happened to us this year in the spring oats, um, they shelled out because the uh, the grain was ready before the shore was. So uh, winter oats went quickly. Um, Linseed also kind of, for us, went out a little bit because of its difficultness to harvest and also because it was um, quite difficult to establish as well. I think now in those days when we were growing spring linseed we weren't direct drilling which we are now so that might be something that may come back again um, I think generally the crops that have got merit as break crops are the ones that are things that are completely different to the winter wheat that is our kind of mainstay most profitable crop so legumes are really important because from a soil health point of view, they're adding something different into the rotation. Um, things like oats are good in some respects because they don't host the take-all. So if you think, we're kind of thinking of things that add something else in that uh, will help hopefully the wheat or on the other flip side, they're gonna give us a quite a good financial return.
0: Yeah, I think it was a bit of a common theme this year, the problems that you had with oats. I've, I've heard it quite a lot from other growers.
3: And the mad thing is, you go back in the field now and we've already applied one pre-drilling glyphosate and they're coming again. Oh, and blimey. Gosh, the bee's going to be something that I just keep seeing oats in the wheat this year. I, I hope that the pre-emergence herbicides will, will sort that out, but I bet you know, we'll be applying a few this year for them and that's the thing, you don't really want your grape crop to become a problem weed in your next crop.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what are the main challenges for you when you're looking at alternative crops? I know you've spoken a bit about intercropping in your um, arable farming column and I guess that tends to turn the rotation on its head a little bit. Yeah, uh, I like anything that
3: causes a bit of a challenge <laughs> uh, i think that's that's one centre. i think when you're looking at a break crop or, or something yeah your break crop. you from my point of view it's either going to do two things for you it's either going to um as i say give you more financial return or it's going to add something to the rotation but the things that add to the rotation there's got to be a market there for them and that's probably the most important thing some of the Crops that I like like oats at the moment are trading at such a deficit to wheat. The growing costs are lower, yes. But at the same time, that sometimes there isn't a home for them around us. So we're we're really struggling to find somewhere for them to go. So it's key for me that whatever we grow, there is I've got a market and hopefully a contract already fixed for them before before harvest. Um I suppose the other challenges are that generally these are niche crops. So whatever you grow, they don't have the research and development behind them that maybe wheat, for example, does, especially when you're thinking really niche stuff that I've been kind of looking at more recently, like the intercrops, what is the market for that and what is the research on how to actually do that? So the market we know at the moment is either we can separate them and sell them uh, as we normally would do, but there isn't a kind of market that I know of that will take both together, mm. although that's a bit more research for this winter. Um, and at the same time, the research into how to grow them well is only just coming. And it's a lot of farmer-led research, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. But you're with any kind of niche idea you're constantly having to try things out on the farm and uh, i was only saying this morning to uh, my uncle tony who i farm with you know maybe we just need to do like 24 meters down the farm and just grow wheat peas and oats as an intercrop because that's what we think is working followed by wheat again and just see what happens see if things actually work or see if it it declines because you don't want to roll out a new crop or a new idea as a great crop over half of the farm and then find out that for some pest disease or other issue. It just doesn't work. Um, and I think other challenges around alternative crops are, um, they take a lot of time, um, both kind of the management time in trying to kind of learn about how to grow these crops. But also, I mean, we're not huge as a farm, but we do grow a lot of crops. And that's, for many reasons that we do, but that takes a lot of practical time, you know, washing out the sprayer, spraying different things. If we went to our farm 20 miles away and just had one crop, it would make life a lot easier. Um, So, yeah. crops do provide challenges yeah but hopefully
0: they provide some rewards as well yeah and you farm with quite a strong focus on soil health which a lot of farmers are doing now or kind of moving in that direction how does that tie into rotation decision making yeah
3: I think it's key actually I think it's key I think I said you know I've mentioned a few times either we grow things because They give a good financial return. And I would kind of put in that bracket growing sugar beet, although that's one that's very much up for debate at the moment because we've not had a great harvest. The virus pressure is really building in the beet, Mm -hmm. and what's going to happen in the future, I don't know. So that's why we grow beet. But beet isn't great for the soil because you're lifting it late on in the year. Um, You're going to have to do some remedial cultivation where the rest of our rotation is no till. Um, even establishing the sugar beet we're kind of on trying to strip till it which worked to some extent this year um and letting land for potatoes kind of fits in that bracket as well because you're, you're passing the control of that field over to someone else and letting them do with it what you will so those you get it back in whatever state and the first year we did it, it was great it was a dry year we could just direct drill i air uh, we rolled field and direct drilled straight over the top of the ridges and the week was wonderful but the last last year we weren't able to establish anything in the winter behind the potato field and therefore it was then another spring crop which completely messes up the kind of profitability of the what you thought you were going to get from the potatoes and the wheat. So that's kind of one side of it. The other side, from this, you know, um, with the other break crops we grow, we're growing legumes like peas uh, and beans. You're completely breaking the cycle from a white storage crop. You're getting something that's going to fix nitrogen. Uh, it's going to build organic matter in the soil. And it's uh, going to hopefully have some of that residual nitrogen for the next crop and provide benefit for the wheat. So I would like to get to the point where all of our break crops are there to add something to the wheat and improve the profitability of the rotation as a whole. But um, in the past, you know, beet and potatoes have been really good earners for us. So it's it's a, just a really tricky one, and it's a really tricky time, I think, for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I guess it's hard to find the balance, and also quantifying that those hidden benefits and the value of them. Is very Absolutely. difficult as well.
3: I was reading a little bit yesterday about legumes and just the fact that the nitrogen fixation process and the lack of nitrogen fertilizer on the peas and potentially the next crop, peas or beans or potentially the next crop, actually then has a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions from those crops. And you're just, in your mind, you're thinking, well, if this can be quantified, is there something That we're going to either be incentivized for doing or penalized if we don't do in the future so there's so much yeah there's so much to think about when you're thinking about cropping it's it's, you know it's a a minefield but certainly behind the legumes that we grow we do put a lot less nitrogen on so they do have that like double benefit really
0: yeah yeah i think greenhouse gas emissions and stuff is something that's really going to come into focus a lot in the next few years and you know the more ahead we can get with it the better really
3: absolutely yeah definitely the more that we can understand about the benefits of growing different crops and you can kind of put into the soil health bit as well going growing cover crops and catch crops because I know know of people that are thinking well they might grow wheat all the time but they may grow a spring wheat and have a cover crop in front of it or a winter eat and have a catch crop as a break in between, or something that is completely legume-based or, or non-cereal anyway, and therefore that might be able to provide them the break from pests and diseases. I don't L- know. Yeah. There's just so much to think
0: about. Yeah, and so many different ways to do it.
3: Absolutely. I think I think that's the thing that I've realised um, that what suits you on your farm may not be the same as what's, well it's definitely not what probably is going to suit even someone our farming next door to you because for us you know our rotation is determined by uh storage you know at one of our farms we don't have a great amount of stores so you can only grow certain crops and there we grow beaten potatoes because we don't have to put them in a shed but in the future that's going to change so lots of challenges
0: yeah thank you very much hannah and i'm sure our listeners will agree it's always interesting to know what's going on over the hedge and what's driving other growers when they make these kind of decisions. So thank you.
3: No problem. Thank you very much,
0: Alice. That's brilliant. Hi, I'm Natalie Wood, Yara's country arable agronomist, and I'm here to talk about ammonia emissions. Now, ammonia is a big problem in the UK, with 88% of emissions coming from agriculture. Of that, 23% are coming from fertilisers. So what can you do to reduce those emissions? Nitrate fertilisers have less than 3% ammonia emissions, therefore switching from urea to AN reduces ammonia emissions by 10 times. If using urea treated with an inhibitor, then the emissions from that are still double those from nitrates. Therefore, if you want to have some of the lowest ammonia emissions, use Yarabella Axan. For more information, please visit yara.co.uk Now, moving on, one thing Hannah touched on just now is markets, which is obviously a very important, if not the most important player in this. So I've got Sky Van Huysen here, who's Innovation Crops Product Manager at Agri. He's going to talk market opportunities, challenges, and some of the products that Agri are looking to bring to market.
2: Alice,
0: good afternoon. Hi Sky. So as we've heard, some growers have now either stopped growing oilseed rape or maybe reduced their area um, in the rotation. And for those on heavier land in particular, keeping a wide rotation is becoming a bit more challenging. So what options are growers tending to go for?
2: Well, truthfully on heavy ground, options can be quite limited um, in truth. So, I mean... Your your options tend to be either going towards something like oats or beans. Um, the, but even beans, you know, we we need to be thinking about winter beans, not spring beans, because spring beans on heavy ground, if the soil goes dry, they can struggle quite significantly, mm-hmm. uh, resulting in lower pod um, counts. So, I mean, obviously, there is the potential option of going into linseed as well. But there again, you know, you really do need adequate drainage. So, heavier soils can work but you need to just think about those sort of things. Um, The only other option apart from those would be to potentially look at things like forage. So forage options are are there now. Um, Again, you've got to focus on what am I going to do with my forage, whether that's maize or um, or any other forage option. Um, But again, focusing on well-drained soils is quite critical. So even something like Lucerne, Um, very good crop however if you are in heavier soils that soil really needs to drain quite well to have a successful crop um but again you know i think a lot of it is focusing on market first crop second and i think you know you need to work backwards that way it can be quite successful
0: yeah because i guess i mean we spoke about this before linseed a lot of people seem to be growing linseed now which is great but I don't know if it could ever completely replace oilseed rape and that there might not be a market for that
2: yeah i mean is a great crop from the perspective of it is another oilseed crop so it's doing a good job from that perspective there again it is focusing on the market so understanding where your markets are so for example is it going to go into feed or is it going into personal crash where you know where are we selling it as to where that value that final value will be and how do you want to pitch yourself against that market Linseed itself doesn't come with its, uh, well, it comes with its own sort of set of problems, I guess. Uh, I've had a few conversations with growers who said, oh, my linseed's getting attacked by a cabbage stem flea beetle. Um, when in reality, it's a very similar beetle, but it's not cabbage stem flea beetle. It's actually a flax beetle. It looks very, very similar, but it's not quite the same thing and it's not the pest itself is not as widespread either so you know again you know as a grower just got to think about what am i doing on my soils and then what kind of pests are in my area and then where am i going to sell it so all those sort of questions need to be asked first i think
0: okay and what about oats because um obviously there was a big increase in area for 2019 harvest um because a lot of people were spring cropping
2: Oats, oats are, uh, well, I think uh, a lot of growers have gone into oats of late, mm-hmm. um, a success story from a growing market perspective, which is great because the UK does grow some great oats, whether it's conventional oats or naked oats. Um, the Again, I suppose one of the, the, the key findings with the oats is that a lot of growers have gone into the spring option on the back of competitiveness against grass weeds. So we as a business, Zachary, we've, we've, Well, done a load of research and found out that, yes, spring oats are arguably the most competitive spring cereal option, so ahead of spring barley and spring wheat. That said, again, I have to go back to the market. What am I going to do with my spring oats? So that in itself, you need to address. Uh, It is something we're working very closely with uh, when it comes to end users, developing agronomy packages aimed at specifically well, driving quality and yield. So, farmer gets more yield, gets more heap, basically, and the end user gets the desired quality. Hopefully, with that sort of um, coercion, well, with those two things coming together, we can hopefully drive value into that market where the millers will be buying from UK farms rather than looking to import.
0: Yeah. And going back to markets, we're obviously seeing quite a move towards, you know, more plant-based diets, whether you agree with it or not this surely opens up opportunities for arable farmers to produce you know UK plant-based protein
2: definitely no I definitely agree and you know again something that we are very sort of focused on ourselves is addressing those market needs and those desires um, much like you put it you know whether you agree with it or not it is a trend that is being followed at the moment and I think it's a trend that will stay mm. it do- this doesn't look like a fad that's going away. So with that in mind, we have to look at, well, how can we protect British, UK, agricultural diversity and the value chain? So can we, in an essence, future-proof it? Um, And so we're looking at a range of different species over and above oats and beans to try to say, well, you know, what options are out there and can we grow them and can we grow them profitably? Because actually they could provide a valuable break crop option for UK growers.
0: So, what kind of options have you guys been looking into?
2: So, we've been looking into things like um, well, chickpeas and UK baked beans, and you know, a range of different species. Really, Um, food barley is another one, although not a bread crop, but it's it is something that's on the agenda for us. And again, we've we've learned some valuable lessons. Um, A lot about how we shouldn't be doing it is uh, which is probably the most valuable lesson somebody could learn is how not to do something. And But that in itself has provided some really good insights and we are able to build on that and continue trialling. We continue to believe in these crops and think that they could hold a place in the market going forward.
0: Yeah, no, I think it could be great. And finally, going back to oilseed rape, where do you see the future of the crop going?
2: The reality is that the UK needs oilseed rape. You know, although... We as a business are looking at these alternative solutions. Uh, the take-home is, is that we need oil seed grape in the rotation, you know, and we can't lose sight of that. However, if we're to get oil seed grape back into the rotation, we need to be utilising everything we can. So this is where we're looking at wider rotations. Can we break green bridges? Can we reduce the flow of the pest? You know How do, how do I... You know, or do I need companion cropping? Do I need a mixture of all of these things? Um, arguably, it is going to be a mixture of all of those things. And yes, maybe we're growing a smaller area of oilseed rape. But I think, yes, truthfully, the area needs to go up from where it is currently. And with these other crops, they can hopefully provide that buffer to, well, to deliver oilseed rape back into the rotation.
0: Yeah, I guess that's, it's hard really at the moment for farmers, I think, because there's so much uncertainty. So they don't really know how things are going to look in terms of, you know, policy, elms, future crop rules, all things like that.
2: Yes. And I mean, those, you know, those, those need to be borne in mind for sure. And, you know, I think we as a business have gone to say, well, we need to provide as many options as we can and I think those options could maybe fit within a rotation and within a, a structure, within the government's regulation, shall we say. And if we're looking at it all, well, that that will inevitably drive sustainability and it will sort of drive that that whole message uh, on farm. So hopefully, and you know, it is a hopefully because none of us can predict the future, a series of these crops... Um, can become lucrative can become viable on farm and can create enough biodiversity to hit those those new regs whatever they end up looking like
0: yeah no i definitely think it's a case of the more options the better really agreed okay thank you no problem alice so moving on now to my final guest for today but by no means least is the anderson centers ben anwell and he's going to talk to us about economics and getting rotations to stack up financially. Hi, Ben. Hi there, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very well,
4: thank you. Good. Very
0: well. So, Ben, we're going to talk about the gross margin side of things now. And for oilseed rape, I suppose the problem is it is a high-input crop. And that requires a lot of investment in the early stages. And for many, that risk is just too high now.
4: Despite the reward financially for growing oilseed rape... Good, the risk is also significant and in many cases outweighs the the reward of growing it, especially with other break crops such as winter field bean, for example, can expect a gross margin of around sort of £565 pounds a hectare, or winter linseed, for example, another popular break crop can sort of yield up to five hundred and seventy-eight pounds a hectare gross margin. So while on paper these crops don't look as profitable as all seed rape take into account the damage the fleeting has been causing a reduction in yield, therefore the reduction in, in profit, um, these other crops may look a better option to many farmers.
0: It seems, you know, apart from cereals, we're left with really quite limited options. Um, a lot of growers tend to maize this year, mostly I think probably because of the weather, um, it was about all they had yeah. left that they were able to drill. Is this yeah. a good option? And then what other options are there? So we've got maize is a good
4: option. big benefit of maize, like I said, it's drilled in the spring. So if the ground is a particularly heavy ground or it's a particularly wet during the season, you're more likely to be able to get onto the ground with machinery in the spring. Therefore, you know, if you can't get the crops in in the, in the autumn, and especially with increasing technology, and, you know, track, track machinery and dual wheels, it um, gives farms more of a chance to get on and drill in the spring.
0: Good things about hemp agronomically, and I think there's quite a lot of research going into it at the moment. Yeah. And as we heard from Hannah earlier, she's really aiming for a much wider rotation. Um, but she mentioned one of her neighbours is focusing more on continuous cereals with a cover crop in between. So, is there a right or wrong answer here? I think
4: depending on what it depends what you want to do. If, for example, the grass is a good option, but obviously there's two or three you need that maybe two or three years. The opportunity cost is not being able to grow cereal crops in that land for a couple of years but it depends what you're trying to achieve if you're looking at if you just want to get as much out of the land as you can then that's a better option But say for example grass might be a better option if you're more you know a conservation head you want to sustain grow more sustainably uh, cover crops such as grass might be a better option Yeah,
0: and again, I guess that's where your kind of farming ethos comes into it um, and what your individual farming business is trying to achieve. Thank you very much, Ben. Some thought-provoking stuff there.
2: Thank you. Cheers.
0: And i'm afraid that is it for today i think we can conclude in saying there is absolutely no one size fits all approach but i hope today's podcast at least sparks some debate maybe in your rotation or potentially armed you with a few new ideas thank you for listening oh.